We called him Baba Yaga. The boogeyman? Well, John wasn't exactly the boogeyman. He was the one you sent to kill the fucking boogeyman. Oh. John is a man of focus. Commitment. Sheer will. Something you know very little about. I once saw him kill three men in a bar. With a pencil. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the film room. Uh, we have a guest with us today. Uh, forgive me if I pronounce your name wrong. Elizabeth Runnels. That's correct. Awesome. Yes, uh, she is a film editor. She has edited many, many films, and she's probably most popular in the States as having edited John Wick. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a film that we have both seen multiple times. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. happy. I I have very fond memories of John Wick. That's that that's that's. I, I'm not surprised to to hear that. Frankly, it that's just I don't know. There's just something like there was just a there's a strange vibe about that movie that it's hard for me to explain, and it's just one that really hit us hard and really enjoyed. So. Yeah, it's not like many action films you see. I I saw it in close proximity to The Equalizer, and that one I didn't like so much just because it was I thought it was too flat. Oh, the good guy had too many flaws or too many uh, too few flaws. Excuse me, just everything perfect. Uh, John Wick, it's like it feels like yeah he is he has a rougher right of it, even though he's this unstoppable machine. And uh, I and just everything about it was way more interesting. The world is more interesting. I watched it Saturday, uh, paying special attention to the editing, because of course. And uh, it's a very interestingly edited film, I must say. <laughs> and I, I hope in a good way. I yes. hope in a good way. Oh no! Yes, a very good way. No, I mean, but but every film is a co collateral. Art. It's like so many people work on it. And I think what struck me with John Wick is just all those people that came to work on that film put so much love in it. So, and I think that really shows. It does. It really did. Because it was at every point you just got the impression that it was like, okay, there's the easy, obvious choice that they could have made. And they always made the more interesting choice at every step on that film, I noticed. Yeah, and I mean, it was a, a very solid crew that came, who gathered to make that film. And I think also what I like about the directors is they respect what the audience brings to the table. They really respect that. Their, their own knowledge, their own brains, basically. Yeah, they didn't spell so, everything out for you at every moment of the film. It was kind of nice that way, actually. Yeah. No, I think it's very important to give us room, you know, to enjoy and not force feed us all the time with information. Right. 
you can make your own interpretations about uh, the world and what's going on and uh, show very much show me, don't tell me. Exactly. Absolutely. And I mean, the audience isn't tabula rasa. It's like we're not an empty sheet of paper. We bring all our experiences to the cinema. So I think it's important to take that into account. And I think that that's the thing that's especially when you're working on like a genre film like that, because we have in our heads what an assassin film is to be like. We 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 know what these kinds of movies are going to be like. And that's why I think that one stood out for so many was because it did surprise us. It did catch us off guard with things that was like, OK, I haven't seen that done that way before. I haven't seen that angle taken before. And. So I think that's what made that one stand out compared to so many. I mean, yeah, I like that you point out the equalizer. That's one I haven't seen, but it but I could probably write a plot synopsis just based on the trailer. It wasn't a bad film, it's just it hit me as very flat. Yeah, it's a different film. It, uh, yeah, it's yeah. like yeah, it's a different film, but uh, but there are things in the equalizer I really enjoyed. Well, you no, know. Denzel Washington and Antoine and Antoine Fuqua are guys I, I really like. Uh, so yeah. I mean, it, it's it's hard for me to ever not outright at least enjoy something they're going to collaborate on because I just like them. I, they're just talented guys. And Antoine's next film looks interesting. Um, I forgot what it is just now, <laughs> but I remember it was something I was interested in seeing. I know the Magnificent Seven just came out. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. I heard pretty good on that. I heard pretty good on that. I haven't seen that film. Yeah, I have to go see the yeah. movie. Yeah, I heard it's a very uh, it's a very different take on the story. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Different yeah. takes. But that's what we do all the time. We are kind of taking the same stories with different takes over and over again. Oh, yeah. It's name name of the game. Exactly. Yeah, I heard there's uh, at one point that there are only... There are only seven types of story that you could tell, um, really, and we're just we're just taking those and playing with them. Absolutely, and nothing wrong with that. Oh no! And now no. we are actually starting to realize we can throw women into the mix, and oh hell yeah, and all races and all genders, all you know. That's that's. <laughs> we can stretch it more. It's fun. Yeah. That's something we've definitely discussed at absolute length on this cast many times before, and it's it's some it's something of a passion subject for us actually. It is trying to oh, applaud when we get yeah. diversity. Yeah, I hope you're gonna like the next movie out, which is the Coldest City. Yeah, so I have a I have a number of questions about that. Um, that's what uh, that's something I love about uh, the new Star Wars. Is that it? It has that absolutely, and then people freak out, and it's like unbelievable. <laughs> There's a black Star Wars guy, and you just right. like, well, some of them are green. What's the problem? Yeah, right. it's remember the Twitter blow up on that, and I just I'm just sitting here going, <laughs> well, more room in the theater for me. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, none of them. They always say, "Oh, I'm going to boycott this. I'm going to run from this." They always go. No, you're not. <laughs> they always go so they can complain. I mean, I it's it's ridiculous to me because it's like, okay, 
seriously, you nailed it. It's there's green people in there. You're really mad because humanity is going to be depicted as actually looking like humanity. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's also interesting for me. It's also interesting because the same people, none of us wants cinema to not evolve. We want it to evolve. We want it to go to the limit. We want it to stretch and try out things. I'm sure the people that got really angry about Star Wars, they still want cinema to evolve they don't want to be watching the same cast over and over again so it's it's a weird dilemma they're in i and i don't understand it but yeah i'll never understand uh, actually the sad part is i think for some of them they do want the same thing over and over again and i'm like okay that's great so just use your dvds just exactly <laughs> i mean the same thing happened with ghostbusters right yeah, yeah which was yeah it was I... pathetic what what we what we saw, but I will say this: the, the uh, countless photos that I saw of little girls dressing up this year was oh, God, fantastic. Yeah. Representation yeah. is very important. It is absolutely. And then we just have to hope the the merchandise people catch up because yeah, I have been able to find Ghostbusters the female version anywhere. No, I, I I don't think I've ever seen it. I, I go to toy stores. The only the only um, incarnation I've seen of that is the Funko Pop figures. That's the only thing I've seen. Uh, like I just saw a I was in Target the other day and I saw a a, a Funko Pop figure of Holtzman. Yeah, I almost got it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I I still need to see that actually. Yeah, I saw it in theater. I I loved it. <laughs> I have not gotten to see very many movies this year in theaters for a very obvious reason. Right. <laughs> Just for the general audience, because I, I think that that's maybe something that uh, isn't all that well understood. What is the job of a film editor? Because I think that that's something that everybody knows the term, and I think they have a vague idea of what it is. But what is what is it specifically? It's got many sides to it. For me, it's both about working on the story uh, and then it's the hunt work of editing like every single edit I put a lot of work into the, the hunt work as well but um, but mainly you have to try to get the story going to get the arc of the story to get the arc of every character right it's kind for me it's almost like interpretation I mean through all the filmmaking we're interpreting the script and interpreting it through the director's vision of what he wants, what the director wants. So if you take a script, maybe the script is an interpretation of a novel, for example, but maybe it's a script, a standalone script, but then the crew takes it and they film it and the actors are interpreting their characters and the story around them. The cinema photographer is interpreting the story through the lens. The makeup people are interpreting it. You, you know what I mean? Everyone is interpreting the story they get through the director's vision. So I just, I, I get everything gathered in my computer. And then I have to start trying to interpret what they interpreted through the and also keep in mind the director's vision. 
So as a as a editor, it's a lot of conversation actually. I don't think people realize how much of it is just talking, just having discussions with the director about what the director is aiming for, what he wants, what he's thinking about the characters, uh, about the story, about twists and turns, emotional the emotional journey for the audience. It's a lot of talk, and then there's some hardcore handwork. Yeah. Yeah. Of the of the very few uh, uh, short films that I've edited, where it's uh, where I wasn't the director, that's very much like there's a lot of sitting down and saying, "Okay, what do you think of this right here?" And uh, you have to have a very symbiotic relationship. Absolutely, and also because we everyone has to understand you can have an amazing script it's amazing you read it the script is amazing but when everyone has interpreted that script through the principal shooting of it and it's in the editing room you have to reinvent the story through what people have left us with and that means sometimes the script is going to change i mean the story is not going to change but maybe, you know, the, the linear, it's not going to be in the same linear way, for example, sometimes. Not because the script got it wrong, but because through the process, something has been added or distracted from, the, from keeping it that way. So you have to be able, you have to be flexible and, and not afraid to take, to test out things, to see if you can interpret the script in a better way with a different structure for example so a completely different form i mean reading a script and watching a movie is not the same story form i i suppose if i have any real experience it is that uh my my background tends to be more as a writer than anything else uh so i know exactly what you're talking about i know that i've read many scripts where it's like i would read the script i'd be like oh this is either a really bad script or a really great script. And I would see the movie and come away with a completely different interpretation of it, you know, a completely different reaction because it had gone through that process. I mean, so it is interesting that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't different, we wouldn't have to make the movies. We would just, the scripts. Yeah. This is why I don't like the term. The book was better. Because it's like, no, 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 the book was different. <laughs> Absolutely. And a completely different art form. It's like you can't right. compare a exactly. novel to a film script. It's not the same art form. Yeah. That's also why I just, I tend to love adaptations, especially like my go-to example for that is the Harry Potter films. Yeah. A lot of things, the movie, that I like the movies better and a lot of things I like the books better. Yeah, but in the books, it's like you are not confined with other people's interpretation of anything. You can right. decide how characters look like, how they move. You know, it's like it's your brain is the projector. But but editing is also just for me. It's a massive emotional journey, and if there is anything I cannot handle, it's in mid process. If someone starts asking me, so how's the film? Is it a good film? <laughs> it's like I I can't deal with questions like that in the process because a part of it is 
you go in and you're working on focusing on everything that can become better. Yeah. You, you're not looking at everything thinking, oh, this is great, this is great. Just how can I make this better? How can this become clearer? How can this be, you know, so you're kind of focusing on the negative aspects in order right. to turn it around. And, and I go kind of deep into that. So if someone mid-process asks me, how is the film? It's not possible for me to answer it because, yeah, because my focus is off. It's like my focus is on everything that can be done. Besides which, when you're editing the film, it's a central job of yours to make it. I mean, you know, so I mean, how can you know if it's in the process of becoming? I mean. Absolutely. And, and, uh, well. I'm, I'm, I think it's extremely important to learn to love every character and like, and see all the positive things. You have to also focus on the positive things and everything that's done amazingly because you want to bring that out and make like carve it out. But at the same time, you are struggling usually with structure, structure problems where you are focusing too hard on like what can be structured differently to to get us the essence of the the script and the the director's vision of that script but at the same time i i always get like it's almost like method uh, editing it's like method editing i just i get a bit manic like uh, (laughs) i always have fall in love with the with the main characters absolutely head over heels in love with them and I feel it's so important to share the same love with every single character in the movie even like the side characters it doesn't matter how small the role is you kind of have to give them the same amount of love and that actually has sometimes been a problem because if you have an ex- for example an extremely good actor and then you have maybe an actor that's kind of struggling with the role in some sense, and you're working so hard to carve out the the performance, which is and usually it turns out to be a great performance, but they just need more carving out. But sometimes the good actor is left behind, and I think that's so important at some point to say, okay. Now I have to switch focus and go back to the the brilliant performance and not forget it. Sometimes when I watch movies, I can see this happen. Like you have all those side characters really carved out and the main character is kind of left floating because their their performance is so strong. But you can still feel it becomes a bit... It's, it's a, very much a balance. It's a balance issue that happens, yeah. Yeah, I, I can think of many times that I've seen that happen on films. Uh, you, I tend to notice it happens a lot on romantic comedies for some reason. Like, I don't know, I just feel like the side characters are almost better. Partially, it's because they're almost always better written. Uh, but And also, those tend to be the parts that go to character actors. Uh, so, I don't know, it's just, it is something that does happen. I can tell that that is a thing that happens. Yeah. But I mean, romantic comedies, I I just feel, I mean, action movies, romantic comedies, it doesn't matter what kind of genre it is. 
it's just dialogue is always the most difficult thing to edit because you have so much the audience is going to forgive you so much in for example a shootout because most of the audience hasn't participated thankfully in a shootout but they've all had dialogues with other people you know they've all had arguments more or less all of them have had some kind of arguments with other people etc so it's like the rhythm of the dialogue is always something that's the most difficult to get right because of this because we know it so well as audience we know the rhythm of it so well we know the you know the the clang i don't know how to explain it but just uh, yeah yeah it's 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 sort of the uncanny valley effect where we know exact so in such detail what something is supposed to be like that if it's not right it really angers us yeah part of shooting there's a thing called the 180 line that you're not supposed to break unless you know you're doing it for artistic reasons like one of the reasons that exists is because you know if you're seeing two people talking then it's almost like you are the third person in that but you're quiet uh and you're just kind of looking back and forth between one to the other so from moment to moment what are you looking at yeah um my understanding anyway (laughs) absolutely 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 yeah i think you're yeah, but I mean, for me, actors are the bravest part of any crew. And I think there, it's so important to understand that we all need to be there for support. Because, I mean, I just have this admiration for actors. And to see all, I've been so lucky to work with amazing casts. And just to see them perform, it's like, sometimes it's, just breathtaking and you got you got to work with some really tremendous actors at that i i i was looking at your filmography really they're some absolute dynamite uh, people there yeah uh, especially in the, the, the next project because i'm a huge fan of charlie's there and i just think she is incredibly gifted and so preach it she is amazing amazing not only as a, an actor but she's also a producer on this film Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, that's one that I'm looking forward to just because it's, well, it's her, I think it's, it's definitely her first, like, really big project, like the Sense Fury Road, uh, which I have no end of thoughts on that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, movie. I could watch that anytime, any day. <laughs> it, it's an amazing movie. Yep. Yeah. It's not for me to say. I just hope you're going to enjoy The Coldest City. I know I have. I've seen it 200 times, and it never bores me. <laughs> never. I don't get bored watching. Uh, I mean, uh, Jonathan Sela films it. He was the cinema photographer on John Wick. And, I mean, just working with people like that is such a privilege. Yeah, I, I know uh, David Leitch. Uh, he was the uh, director, uh, uh, co-director on uh, John Wick. I know he. Uh, he this is his. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Chad and David are both amazing directors, and it was so much fun to work with the two of them on John Wick. And now that Leeds went for the Colted City, I mean, he is—he's coming out as a full-blown director after this film. Yeah, well, it's—it was, of course, it's rumbled what he may be doing next. So, uh, 
That that yeah. should be inter- interesting if he does indeed get that, uh, which I would totally be down for him getting uh, Deadpool too. I, oh, and I'm going to see that. I'm going to see that. I know whatever David Leitch does next, he's going to do well. Yeah. There's no question about it. One question that I do have, uh, to, you know, to about editing is, um, and I know it's going to sound like a strange question, but uh, what is like a standard day for an editor? What what is that like? And I'm. And there may not be such a thing, but I'm I'm just kind of curious. You mean, are we talking hours or like? Yeah, yeah, hours and like, is there is there is there a routine? Is there a no, standard? No, I not for me. For me, it's more of a lifestyle. I mean, that's interesting. I don't go home and not think about the film. I mean, when I sign up on a film, it just starts the day I sign up and I start reading the script and then it doesn't leave me. And I'm so lucky that I get to follow the whole process from before the start of principal shooting all the way to the end. And it's very important for me, for example, to follow through the whole sound mix and even the DI because you're constantly working on the film and just the layers that are added in sound and in DI especially when we are like constantly adding new visual effects shots into it that can constantly change the way you think of an edit so for me it's very important to follow through the whole process but yeah it's it's not like hours it's more like a year you take a year, hmm. and that's that film is just one of your babies for a year. It's like your baby. You don't just you're not a father eight hours a day or ten hours a day. It's like you dream it, you you wake it, you think about it constantly. It's like yeah, you live and breathe it. Live and breathe it. Yeah. I'm afraid, but <laughs> I mean, I I love doing it. It's yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, but so, you know, I can't just go home and not think about my work. It's like constant. I even wake up sometimes and because I dreamt something like, <laughs> you know, because you're struggling with like, how are we going to fix this? How can we get the character from A to B without, you know, doing some weird loops in between or whatever you're thinking. And then suddenly I can have dreams about it sometimes. and. It has even happened I wake up with a solution. And sometimes I just wake up a mess and think, it's all going to fail. It's all going to go bad. It's never going to be good. I'm, I'm horrible. I should open a bakery and do something completely different. But yeah. <laughs> I, I think we've we all had those moments. Open. Yeah. No, and the day I go to work and feel like I know it all and that I can do it all, I just know that's the day I have to find something else. Right. Because that's then it's not worth it. Yeah, that's not a challenge. Because then you have nothing. No, and then you have nothing to add. Because if you're just gonna bolt through it, knowing all, and it's you're not gonna add anything. I think. Yeah, that's. Uh, anytime I hear the criticism, well, you know, they're throwing it in or doing it for the paycheck. It's like, but do you really know that though? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I could say from the criticism and it, it really kind of bugs me when I'll hear people say things that it's like, oh, y- you really don't know what you're talking about. Like because you mentioned that earlier about actors. And that's one of my great pet peeves is when I'll hear someone trash an actor and it's like, 
but you don't know the circumstances that led to that performance. It could easily have been studio interference on the editing. It could have easily right. been a director who didn't quite know what they were doing. It could have, you, you don't know. And I mean, I've seen actors, I've seen actors give some of the, I've seen the same actors give some of the all time worst performances I've ever seen and some of the all time best. So I tend to really err on the side of being... No, but again, a movie is never done by one person. It's exactly. not done by the director or the f- alone or the film star alone. It and that's takes what's so, a village. And, and that's what's so frustrating to me as a critic. isn't working together and isn't respectful of each other's input, it, it can end badly, yeah. That's why you often see... Like especially like auteur directors, uh, they always they work with the same crew because that's what you know that's who they gel with. That's who you know they know they're gonna get a good product out of those people. Absolutely. But yeah. then again, it's films, and it takes a long time to make a film. So sometimes it's not possible to work with the same crew. It's like right. I kind of get sometimes sad and mussy that I wasn't able to do John Wick two, for example. Because, I mean, Chad is an amazing director, Keanu, amazing John Wick, and I would love to have been a part of it. But I had already signed up for Cold City, and they were going to do it at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't always be a part of the same crew because, yeah, things happen fast, and you might be signed up on something else when. When your favorite director or favorite star or favorite whoever goes on a project and you're not able to go with. But so I think it's just important to always take every job with the same respect for everyone. And then, of course, you might end up hating someone in the crew because you think they're whatever. But yeah, but you have to, you know, you have to keep that focus. It's you, I mean, I just, really dislike if it's a director an actor or an editor i've seen that happen as well that pretend they kind of made this movie or make you know right it's it's not how it happens yeah it, people need to work together and respect what they're working with and i mean i don't take myself seriously i take my work <laughs> really seriously but I don't take myself seriously. And for me, that's very important. Yeah, I've always found that uh, the best directors are always the one that are always the ones that are very open to input from their crew. Oh my gosh, it's uh, my favorite kind of directors. Absolutely. Yeah, like anytime I listen to an audio commentary and you know, they talk about, oh, well, you know, I had this coming in, but then this actor had this idea and I thought, Oh God, that's so much better. Let's do that. And I always, I always smile when I hear something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, I mean, sometimes I get like questions, whose idea was this or whose idea was that? And it's like, okay, maybe, maybe I was the one who said the idea out loud, but ideas don't just, fall of the sky as punters. Right. It's like it, it they they get born through the process. The process of talking, the process of looking at other people's input. And you know what I mean? It's like yeah. 
and fermentation. It's always born through the process that you're in. So, yeah, I, I guess that's why I've never really been a big fan of the uh, possessory credit for movies because it tend because it creates the illusion that one person is responsible, and that's that's garbage in my eyes. Yeah, well, it's it's not. They might be responsible in the way that I might get another job, even though I fuck up a movie and the director might never get another job. You know what I mean? It's like, so in that sense, the the director is always on the, he's always in control of the whole crew. I mean, because he needs to make the final decisions. So yeah, the responsibility of the film is always sits with the director. He has the hardest job in that sense. He needs to make the final decisions and he needs to stand by them and he needs to fall by them. It's like... That's really interesting. So in that sense, it's true. It's a director's... I, And I think mm. some directors I work with, like David Leach, I sincerely believe he has earned his credit, for example, a film by. Okay, okay. That's, that's, an, that's an interesting angle that I, I I guess that's why I like to that's why I like to hear someone who knows who knows more than I do basically that's that's why I like to hear that so I like to throw out an idea so that I can then get a perspective that uh, makes me rethink it I'm I'm always treating my opinions as they're in flux (laughs) that's my attitude towards everything I think seriously and I that is interesting um who who are some of the uh, directors that you've really enjoyed working with? I, I do have to ask that. Oh, I I've enjoyed working with every director. I've I've never. I mean, Baltasar Karmaukur is the one that I worked the most for uh, or with. Yes, Karmaukur who did Everest and Two Guns. I didn't edit. I edited Contraband and Inhale. How did you uh, get started in the, uh, uh, like, what, what led you into film editing? I am curious about that. Oh, a long, long time ago. Well, I've always been interested in films. And I even, like, as a kid, we got, like, programs. If we bought ourselves a ticket to a film in Iceland, we got, like, a program mm. that was, like, a printout of the film. And I think it's like sometimes they didn't have the money to subtitle the film. So they kind of printed out a program that Hmm. told you who was in the film and like a short text of what the film was about. It's kind of funny. Almost like going to the opera. Absolutely. And we got that. So I used to collect those when I was a kid. And so, and that's why I know I've always been interested in film. I used to rate them. Like give them a rating on that I wrote it on the program, like a rating of the film. And then I went to a film school in London because I wanted to become a cinema photographer. I went to the London Film School with emphasis on cinema photography. And then it just happened somehow. I ended up in the editing room. I did some focus pulling jobs and stuff when I came out of the film school. And I did some video shooting for TV, and then I did a lot of commercials, music videos and commercials. But anyway, I just kept getting pregnant, and it's like you can't tell a crew of 50 people that 
you are going to be late this morning because your kid is has stomachache or something, you know, right. like impossible. <laughs> so in a way, it just I felt I could control my time better in the editing room. And then, of course, I just felt for the process. I felt for the process of being able to uh, affect the story in the way I could as an editor. And um, so I've been doing this for 30 years, editing. Yeah, I, I feel that editing, you know, when I first went into film school, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And then, like, pretty much right out of the gate, uh, started editing. It's like, yeah, this is probably the most fun job on this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still love visiting the set. I love being on set. And for example, on the last film, the the, the Coldest City, that's not out, but will be soon. There are shots there that needed me to be on set. I, I, I'm not going to say anymore, but I, I just really enjoyed spending those days on set. There is something magical about being on set that you don't get to experience too often when you're the editor. But yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's weird when you edit something with people that you haven't met and then you see them in person. It's like, I feel like I know you so intimately, yet you don't know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, especially with documentaries, I feel. Oh, I where you've gone through like hundreds of hours of interviews with people where they're telling everything about themselves and then you meet them and <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah it's a weird experience <laughs> yeah. I, have to, I have to ask uh, what, so what software do you use I mean I use anything I'm handed I mean oh, nice. I started editing when we edited film I had the white gloves on and with the steam pack and spent hours looking for that frame that fell into the bag but then came the video like editing beta on betas or even VHSs like VHS editing I did a lot of that uh, but now I just after computers came uh, I, I've edited films, feature films both on uh, Final Cut Pro and Avid that's the two most common softwares I've been using and Avid in the States, the Avid is still number one. Yeah. And I can really understand why it has the most consistent time code, etc. especially when you have to go through complicated pipelines for visual effects and etc. And Avid has been very clever. You you need to buy so much hardware. So it's <laughs> yes. very difficult for companies to change into a different software if they've already put all that money into the hardware that is needed around the Avid. So Avid, as I see it, is still the number one software that has changed. But it's going to take a while, and I think it's because of the, the hardware. Yeah, I worked in a, I know that firsthand, I worked in a uh, TV studio that had Avid, and yeah, it connects to a whole bunch of things. Yeah. I mean, everyone has a love-hate relationship to anything they're working on. I mean, nothing is perfect and absolutely not oneself anyways. So, 
I could say a long, long speech about how I feel about the Adobe Creative Suite, for example, because that's what I, I work with. I don't know my what job. you're talking about. What's that? Adobe. Uh, uh, Adobe. It's uh, it's all of it's Photoshop, um, Illustrator. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. 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 And then InDesign, which is the core of what I do. And yeah, I have so many thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have um, CS5, so I have Adobe Premiere. Uh, so that's recently what I'm used to uh, editing on when I edit, well, as far as video. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what Twitter is for, all those thoughts. <laughs> it is. So I'm going to um, follow up on that. You said you were, uh, have actually worked with, like, when films were actually physically cut. Um, I know. That's that's amazing to me. <laughs> like it's not often uh, these yeah, days. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked on films. Where, for example, I was working in at Nordic Film in Denmark, and we edited on Steampacks there, where you would like at the end of every day. I kind of miss that process. At the end of every day, the whole, whole crew and everyone would turn up at the cinema, and we would look through all the dailies. Now everyone just gets their own iPad with the dailies on, and no one gathers. But you don't yeah, have that I group. Sitting in the cinema, just looking at the dailies, like every single day during the principal shooting, and then you would edit it on film. And I, I, I'm very grateful to have been a part of that process because it's taught me certain things. I mean, it doesn't make me the most technical etsy person ever but it it gave me this ground of thinking about the edit before i make it it yeah it doesn't mean i work really fast and i can make trillion of versions in one day that's a part of the fun but it's still just this thought path but even though it goes quickly it just goes through the old way of thinking about it and i actually I'm actually very grateful for that, to have gotten that kind of um, practice yeah. before the computers came in. Yeah, because uh, well, now in the digital age, it's like you can you know you can make those things on the fly. But yeah, uh, you're right. You'd have to uh, for the more technical parts. I'd imagine you'd have to um, really think a thing out before actually like putting making it into the physical form because then you have to undo all that yeah which is easy today but it right. wasn't then and you had to be very careful because if you weren't cutting the exactly where you wanted to cut on the film it's like if you were gluing like all those one framers together because you were making the wrong part it right. kind of messed up your playback but I, I feel, and I might be wrong, it's so easy trying to interpret your own experience. But I think what it makes me stronger in today is like I don't get overwhelmed. Like I worked with Barry Ackroyd, who is a cinematographer, who did the newborn film just now. And it, he's done so many films. He's an amazing cinematographer. But he he tends to film nothing without at least four cameras. And so the ratio you're working with is a lot. And I feel like the training, the thought training I got from working with film pays off 
when I'm met with a lot of or a high ratio in a film because it's easy for me to and oversee it. And I think that's a part of that thought training. And I might be completely wrong, you know. I might be just talking out of my ass. But this is how I feel. <laughs> no, I can, I, I, feel. I can actually relate because I, I kind of had things similar in the industry that I'm in where there in high school there were a few months that we did our layout where we did newspaper layout in the physical form and it was just it was difficult but it did train me that hey you have to be precise yeah precision <laughs> precision is key so i under i understand where you're coming from all the way and i mean who who among us would say yeah my experience didn't help me i mean yeah, yeah. that's how we all are that's how that's we get to where we are yeah absolutely I suppose the equivalent to, you know, that forethought that that goes into that in the digital world is labeling is so important, <laughs> uh, like labeling files and uh, making sure everything is well organized, as if it's not, then nothing's going to go smoothly. Oh, absolutely. And there's one title I really don't like in the film business, and it's Editing Assistant. I have the most amazing, and I'm not. I'm not gonna call him editing assistant. I hate it because <laughs> he just manages the post-production process completely. Matt Absher. Yeah. He is my absolute hero, and I don't think any of. I I think he influences film in the best way possible because both just with being there very supportive through the whole process but also just he makes magic like building that ground for us to work on you know what i mean it's like organizing everything making sure everything is going uh, is correct labeled to correct everything going through the correct pipelines following up on shots that we have to send outside the editing room and get them back etc etc i mean he's um, more of a president of post <laughs> no I, I and i'm being extremely serious yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah i i i don't i feel assistant is the wrong word because i i always kind of feel he's more of my boss because yeah i i need to ask him about stuff all the time but yeah, it's important because that's yeah. building the ground for us to work on and right. keeping threats. Like, so yeah, I feel that's very important. One of the things uh, I wanted to ask specifically about uh, John Wick and um, um, how it was how it was edited was uh, it uses a lot of parallel edits just to sort of show you where two characters are at once. Yeah. The scene I'm specifically thinking about, you know, just as an example, is when the crime boss is talking to his son who has just, you know, stolen John Wick's cart and killed his dog. And the son is just like, well, it's no big deal. It's just a dog. It's just a car. He's like, no, this guy's gonna, <laughs> like, this guy's gonna come after you and he's going to catch you. And, you know, you see John breaking the concrete he's laid over his backup supplies basically in case he needed to get back in like at the same time it's, that's such a visceral thing um was that all 
like the way that was done. Did that come about in the edit, or was that in the script level? Like how did that um, style come about? Well, it's okay. The thing is, when you start doing something, like sometimes you need to do something somewhere to save your ass. Like, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm gonna try to re- both remember how this all came about, and also I think some of it might have been scripted with the hammering, but not in the same way it's done. It's differently. But the thing is, what I really dislike when you're telling a story, I don't want I don't want the audience to be ahead of you. Right. I mean, you might sometimes want it, but in this instance I didn't I don't well, we felt the audience should not be ahead of us. And just like the scene the first scene that we go non-linear with, besides the flashbacks of the wife, of course, in the beginning, but the first scene where we go non-linear is when uh, John Wick leaves the house, takes the bus, and goes to Aurelius's. And the th- the reason for the non-linear story there is that how it how we had it was that. First, the son goes to Aurelius's, and that all plays out. And then we go back to the house, and then John Wick goes, takes the bus to Aurelius's, and Aurelius's tells him that the son came and with the car. You know, so right. you're actually telling the same story twice to the audience, hmm. and that's kind of, for me, that's not a very smooth flow. That's not a smooth flow. Right. It's, and it's that's really like, it. Yeah, it's like the audience knows. The audience knows the sun was there. We don't need Aurelius to tell John Wick because we already know. So that was uh, the reason why we started intercutting it there. It was to tap up the flow so the audience wouldn't be ahead of us, waiting for us to tell the story to catch up with him. Hmm. So, and then we are using that theme like throughout and also in the end where it also happened that uh, when uh, the Russian mob, head of the Russian mob goes and kills our friend Marcus, when Vico goes and kills Marcus it was the same thing it's like Marcus meets Vico at his house uh, uh, Vico kills Marcus Vico calls John Wick uh, Vico tells John Wick he killed Marcus. You know what I mean? It's like the same thing. And then John Wick drives up to Vico's uh, to Marcus's house to catch Vico. So a part of taking that also non-linear, so he's actually beating up and killing Vico uh, Marcus while he's talking to John Wick is also to speed. To, to help with the flow and make sure the audience is not ahead of us, waiting for us to catch up. But I think the hammering was partly written into the script, but the dialogue was a bit longer, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. One of the things that, like, any time a film frustrates me, uh, it's because, like, that exact thing, like, either I'm way ahead of the film... Or, like, the film is way ahead of me. So uh, yeah. that, that must be kind of a weird 
thing to predict how audiences, uh, how an audience will, like, you know, where their thought process will be in that. Yeah, and the only thing you can do is be as honest as possible in that process. But of course, you're never gonna please everyone. I mean, people are so vastly right. different. Thankfully, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think it. But we also have to be brave enough to make to understand and accept that not everyone is gonna like the film you put out. I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> I read someone on Twitter. Now you know. I read someone on Twitter saying, like, I don't know, I can't remember it word by word, but about John Wick, how horribly it was edited. Oh. And it's like, <laughs> no, but it, that's the thing. And that's why you have to kind of put on a brave face sometimes. There are millions of people in the world, right. and they're not all going to like what you're doing. And there's nothing you can do about it other than just what are you going to do? Go hide because you're never going to win everyone over. So, but I I also think it's important that we learn to respect that we are not going to like everything. And it doesn't mean necessarily, well, sometimes we can all agree something is just badly done, fine. (laughs) But sometimes I think people become very judgmental when it's just obvious it's not their genre or their interest doesn't lie in this kind of stories or you know what i mean it's like yeah it's it's why it's not it's like why for example i try not to review war movies because i know i don't like them there you and go I, I, and i know it's not my taste i, I try to be very I, I, as someone who considers himself a critic i try to be very careful about that and very on guard about that and i feel like I feel like not enough people are, frankly. Everybody assumes that everything has to be for them, and it's perfectly okay that some things aren't. And it's necessary, because that's a part of living in a diverse, beautiful world, that we are not all interested in the same thing or wanting the same thing. So I I think we should embrace that as well. But of course... I mean, it's also human wanting to please everyone, but um, but yeah, we have to learn through. Yeah, when you like time and time again, you see, uh, you know, that's where the studio interference thing comes in when that happens. Uh, you know, trying to uh, trying to please as many people as possible. Yeah, when you try to when you actively try to please everybody, you kind of end up with something that's kind of mediocre. Yeah, and I think that's something maybe the studios need to start accepting. They, right. The chance of making something amazing is less if you're trying to please everyone. Yeah. But, I mean, at, at the same time, I can respect that the studios want their money back. I mean, right. they put a lot of producers and the studios put a lot of money sometimes into film. And they need to be assured that they're at least going to come out even and hopefully with, you know, extras. Yeah. But, <laughs> but if you're going to make something new and exciting, it's not going to fix fit into the Excel sheet of what people want because it hasn't been done before. So it can't be on that Excel sheet. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it's a complicated world to live in. I just hope we can do it respecting each other and understanding that we can have different views, 
but hopefully we, we are all aiming for the same thing. Yeah. A healthy, fun cinema experience. What are some films that you've enjoyed lately? Children films. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's so embarrassing. But if there's a children films film out, I've seen it. But, um, but no, I've been, my kids are getting older. So we actually went to see Doctor Strange the other day. Ooh. I enjoyed that. I know, but I enjoyed it. I thought uh, Doctor Strange was a fun, delightful character. He's, we're actually seeing that when uh, he comes to Little Rock. We're going to go yes. see that, uh, actually. IMAX 3D. Exciting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I've been, been waiting for that one for a long time. It just looks so wonderfully strange. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I mean, it's like we can have all kinds of different opinions on it, but it's a well-done movie. Oh, that's, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. And that's also, again... Uh, I think it's important different movies are made with different emphases and different all kinds. But I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. But that's the last movie I saw. And then I'm watching Query. Do you say Query? Query? The TV well, show? Yeah, yeah I've, I've heard a lot. Uh, actually, one of the guys that, come to think about it, one of the guys that worked on that is actually, uh, Graham Gordy is actually from uh, my hometown, actually. Very so. good. So he, he, yeah, he's a he's a local boy actually for us. Uh, in fact, I went to high school with his brother actually. Come to think of it, wow. Yeah, I watched the first episode last night, and I'm really looking forward to the next one. I I enjoyed it immensely, but I'm stuck. I'm trying to remember. I've seen that beginning somewhere else, and I'm thinking, what was it? Like the whole the first half of episode one. I'm just thinking, I've seen this in a movie. The whole beginning, and I can't remember. So irritating, but I'm like blank. I can't remember. So if anyone remembers what it <laughs> reminds them of, just this whole beginning of a soldier coming back home and being met with an offer, and I'm just like, I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it, and I can't remember. I've seen that in a lot of stuff, although it's, it's though I'm scraping my memory to think of what. Uh... Yeah, it does sound familiar. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's just... A, I'm I think trying it's to find out. I'm going to be Googling for the rest of the day just to find out what, what it's reminding me of. But it's extremely well done, amazing actors, uh, and I'm excited for seeing the rest of it. Is that on Netflix by chance? It's a no, cinema. No, isn't it? Or cinema, yeah, cinema. It's Cinemax in the... Oh, Cinemax, at least go. in the US, yes. so yeah. Yeah, because it's a Cinemax original series. They're actually producing it, come to think yeah. about it. Oh, cool. I should have access to that then. Yeah. Sweet. And it has an Icelandic actor in it. Olaver Darri. Mm. He's nice. doing really well. That's cool. Yeah. He's the big guy. Um, I guess then a, a corollary that I would have would be, what were some of the films that influenced you growing up? Yes. You talked about how much you enjoyed going growing up. What were some of the films that influenced you? <laughs> there are so many. There's like a whole whole list. What was it? But I'm trying to remember the names. I'm just um Yeah, it sounds like this sounds like my memory as well. <laughs> yeah. Just give me ten seconds. Are you getting out your uh, uh, collection of uh, movie programs? Yes, I am, because Sweet. I don't want to, to fuck up 
the names. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. I'm so bad, and I feel so embarrassed sometimes. I can't even name drop because oh, I'm... I get wrong the whole time. I'm terrible with names. I there are people that I've worked with for eight years that I'm like, <laughs> well, there's that person. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's an embarrassing thing to have. I know <laughs> so well. Yeah, I comfort myself with being more emotional than than uh, name correct. Right. <laughs> and of course, I'm face blind on top of that, which makes it all kinds of fun. Oh yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> no, but okay, films that have influenced me. It's like, but it's, I remember the first, like, amazing, like, a shocking moment for me in the cinema when I was just, like, completely stunned was actually Blade Runner. Ooh. I remember sitting in the, the cinema seeing it, and it was just so different from anything I had seen, like, visually. Yeah. And, which is kind of the reason why I then ended up in a film school uh, focusing on film uh, on cinema photography because I was I had never seen anything like the cinema photography of that movie which mm. and the set design and everything and visual effects they had there and stuff it was for me it was mind blowing but um, but I mean there are so many movies it, the shining was an amazing movie that affected me Raging Bull, of course. Uh, because of the story and the monologues and stuff. I mean, the Russian film Come and See. Have you seen that one? Mm-mm. It's uh, that's I remember. That's a kind of a life-changing movie to see. It just it hits so hard. His um, what's his name? The Elem Klimov. I'm not even. I'm probably not saying it right. But it's a R- Russian movie done in 85. Hmm. Come and see. If you haven't seen it, look it up. But it's, uh, it's yeah, an extremely difficult, yeah, it's a difficult emotional movie to see. And it, it had a profound infect, uh, effect on me, like seeing it. Uh, Full Metal Jacket, The Piano, an amazing movie. Oh, good one. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, fun stuff like train spotting or the usual suspect, oh. the you know, the Matrix, Memento. Oh, Memento. Because oh. I, one of my friends, I'm so, now I'm going to name drop, Dodie Dern. <laughs> Dodie Dern is a film editor. She edited Memento and I got to meet her and I kind of consider her a friend today. Oh my God, that woman is amazing. Just, that, she has so much experience and knowledge, and yeah. Yeah, that's that's an amazingly edited film. Yeah. it's like, yeah. It would it would have it's to be an amazing movie, and I remember just seeing that was again. I mean, it just Requiem for a Dream was another movie that was a very one. Yeah, Requiem for a Dream and Train and Spotting are pretty much the greatest anti-drug messages I think I've ever seen <laughs> because you watch them and you're like, nope, don't want to go anywhere near that. Staying far away. Yes. Yeah, I hope Reservoir Dogs kept you in the same way up away from crime in general. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kill Bill. I was blown away with Kill Bill. And yeah. I mean, 
besides run pussycat run no what's it called the pussycat run run oh, oh yeah faster. Uh, faster pussycat kill kill yes yeah, yeah. faster pussycat kill kill i told you i would get a title wrong but yeah <laughs> besides that film i mean it wasn't kind of until kill bill where you for me as a woman because i hate it when people say that women aren't interested in action Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you're getting it all wrong. If women are interested in action. They are just not interested in the degrading of women that all too often had to follow. Right. Amen. As if just to make sure no one thinks they're gay because they're touching, fighting. <laughs> I have a story about I'm that. Interested in. And when I saw Kill Bill, I was like, I just wanted a yellow sport <laughs> thingy to wear and a sword. I yes. was so hyped after seeing that film. I, I'm so well, happy that I got to see both parts of that due to like a fluke of theatrical distribution. Like volume one was on at the dollar theater in the morning. And then I saw <laughs> volume two at night. And this is my first time to see either of them in 2004. So I just made a day of seeing it. Yeah. Oh, so good. And you're right. So, so so there are so many films, and it's still today. There are films affecting me. Have you seen the Beepa Boys? Mm, haven't. It's an Indian Canadian director. It's a Canadian film, actually. Um, it's from last year, 2015. Deepa Meta did it. Oh yeah, I know. I, I know the name certainly. Yeah. Uh, she just came out with um, a movie called um, again let's get the title right Anatomy of Violence which was about the Indian rape in the bus that's Oof. a weird movie it's a very strong movie but it's very experimental but Beepa Boys is like I had so much fun watching that movie last year that's what I look uh, into yeah it's about the this Indian gang in uh, Canada that wants to be bigger than the Chinese gang. It's like, it's a fun movie to watch, but it's still just, and this is what I like so much when you have films, entertaining films that are still leaving you with a message without like pushing it down your throat, but it just still leaves a message with you. So I've, I've, found it to be an amazing movie and I find Deepa Mehta to be a, one of the most interesting directors of our times just she's so versatile and it's that's interesting that's what I'll look into yeah. I have an so, unusually yeah, there are still movies like making me excited and I feel are fun and I'm not religious I don't mind I, for example uh, Death Pool I liked that movie a lot. I enjoyed it. It's I fun think they went in. There were some aspects of it I disliked, and I thought, well, they didn't have to go. But right. I like right. it, even though it's massive visual effects, like the fights are visual effects. I still like it for what it is. It's very interesting. It's fun to watch, and even though they are not practical stunts, it's still. I can still see the beauty of it and enjoy it immensely. Yeah, this is one of the one of the gripes we have about 
uh, Hollywood and release dates is, you know, uh, you know, the mall has always been to release the tentpole films in the summer. And then along comes Deadpool, which is released in February, and it does really well. The hope would be the takeaway is, one, it doesn't really matter when you release a film, as long as it's really good. And two, we want something interesting. We want something different. It's true. And I mean, mean, the story, it's kind of like Amelie. You remember Amelie? Yeah. The oh, film? yeah. I love it's Emily. Like the same oh, way of storytelling. Like, he's telling us the story. He's talking to camera. He's breaking the fourth wall, all that. It's kind of the same same wipe somehow, in a weird way. That's true. <laughs> I've, I would never think to compare those two movies, but... <laughs> but it's very true. <laughs> Though, yeah, I do absolutely adore that movie so much that, of course, now I'm feeling... Of course, now thinking about that makes me feel warm fuzzy just thinking about having seen that one. Yeah. That's when I watched when I was in high school, and it just really hit me in the right way. Uh, I'm, on, yeah. I'm way overdue for a rewatch of that film. <laughs> yeah. That may be one we need to slide into the cast at some point in the next year. We do. I think it was on a list somewhere, but we kind of forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, we have we have like... At any given time, we have like 25 movies that are like, well, we're going to cover this at some point, and... It may take us a year to get to them. Yeah. We're weekly, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stuff comes up. But the, this is the beauty of cinema, and I uh, I think we all have a responsibility to take it seriously and love it and respect it and work honestly in it because it's um, it's kind of a, it offers us, a better sense of what lurks under the surface with ourselves. So we that, and I think that's why we get emotionally involved in watching movies, and and I'm why mind. characters don't have to be overanalyzed. Because as long as you put some love in them and humanity and humor, it's like people are gonna connect. Especially when you have great actors. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think it was. I think it was Roger Ebert that put it best. Film is a machine that creates empathy. Yeah, exactly. That, that's how I feel about it all the it way. It sounds very clever. <laughs> yes. And, and of course, that's kind of, you know, for me growing up in the life that I lived, film did provide that. That was certainly, it provided me an outlet. It provided me glimpses and journeys and things that I needed when my own life was, well, frankly, very flat. So, yeah, I agree all the way with that. Yeah, but I mean, our perception changes all the time. I mean, what's right or wrong changes constantly, which is also the reason why we constantly need, we we are calling for new stories and and that we still have the need to tell stories is because everything is changing around us. And I think that's one of the reasons we have to open up for both genders and and race, we have to cut across it because that's what we need today. We need those stories with the, the diversity of everyone participating. And I think there is a call out for that stories because our world is changing and we need to take that dialogue. And I think it's important that producers and the studio understand people need those stories because we need the dialogue. And I think we have to take that seriously and yeah and work on this right yeah 
Yeah. I, it's not it's not for nothing that one of my favorite films in recent years was uh, Rick Famuyi was uh, Dope, which yeah. provided insight into culture that wasn't my own, that was a world that I didn't know, but that I felt like I understood better by watching it. And what was the, the name of the movie? Dope. I haven't seen it. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Uh, it is. It's a very warm film. It's 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 a very happy film, and it's just everything about it is spectacular. It's yeah. one I love. To give you an idea of exactly how happy it is, uh, part of the film is uh, the main character and his group of friends have a band, and the person who's writing the songs for the band is Pharrell Williams. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> who writes very happy, happy. songs. Yeah. Exactly. He literally wrote uh, he did, yes. the song about being happy. So, And I love the happy song, but let's not forget he also wrote Blurred Lines. <laughs> oh, Just I say, was... now I'm being the next recording one. I'm so oh. sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to drink some more water and think happy. You're <laughs> oh, just even thinking about that song. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ensured... we all make mistakes, and I'm sure we all make mistakes. We're meant to go as far as I am happily, blissfully ignorant because I've never heard that song. Good I envy you. you. I envy <laughs> you. I envy you. Hey, no, but let's wrote happy, so we should just listen to that one more time. I love and, that. Song. And get lucky. Get lucky. Daft Punk. Good. Actually, <laughs> actually, there's a cool story about that CD. That was what was playing in uh, Albert's car as he was driving me from the hotel that we stayed at to the venue that we went to for me to get married. Yes. There and, you go. And Get Lucky was the perfect length for that journey. Like, I just, I just remember saying, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do this upright. And I skipped right to that song. It's like, yeah. And then once we pulled into the parking lot, the song ended. It's like, that was perfect. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Great. You can find us on our blog. We are thefilmroom.podbean.com. Uh, there's a Podbean app. It's it's great because every time I post an episode, like, I don't know, maybe a couple hours later, uh, I'll get a pop-up notification that says, hey, the film room has just posted an episode. I look at that and it should be annoying, but it's satisfying. It's like, yeah, we did. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Every, so, if you get the Podbean app, then... It'll notify you when we post a new episode. I can't say enough good things about the Podbean app. It's great. So, yes, uh, we are on Facebook, facebook.com slash thefilmroom. We like you liking us. And, uh, let's see, our Twitters. We are at filmroomcast. I am at PrimitiveManPRD. Austin is at UntitledUser. Elizabeth Rollins, you can find on Twitter at BetaAir. That's B-E-T-A-E-R. Uh, she, has, she has a really interesting feed. So, yeah, go follow her. And also, of course, our now good friend Harold Ragsdale is at Cybergun Films. You can keep track of him and his his doings. You can email us. We are at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. We love emails. Of course, we have the Film Room Lobby, as always. There's some great stuff on there. Uh, our live cast will actually be an addendum to a series on there, um, uh, Yearbook. Mm-hmm. We will be covering a year on the cast. Yes, we will be. Yeah. And we will be following the same format for that, too. So, so yeah. So, look forward to that. Uh, that is the filmroomlobby.wordpress.com. And, of course, last but not least, the Patreon. 
we we have a new patron, which brings us to twenty seven dollars a month. Ah, yeah, we, we are ever closer, you guys, to our like <clears throat> every little bit helps. Mm-hmm. Barack Nil, thank you so much for uh, for throwing in your support, and you uh, pl- have pledged at the. I believe the the level that you get to suggest a film. Mm-hmm. So I hope I didn't botch your name. Yeah, we look forward to seeing what your selection is. Also, thank you for your continued support, uh, Bridget, Nathan, Daisy, uh, Sheila, and of course Sean from No Totally. Thank you guys yep. so much. Uh, again, we cannot say enough. Thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, thank well, you so thank much. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed that. I hope this works out as a podcast. But I oh, enjoyed. Yeah. Absolutely. We had a just spectacular conversation. Again, we thank you for coming on, and we will certainly be uh, looking uh, forward to the uh, film, um, which, I mean, just sounds up my alley anyway. I'm down for that kind of film anyway. So, and it's uh, the cold. It's a fun. The coldest city. That's the name of it, correct? Yes. They haven't changed it yet. You never know, but it's still (laughs) the coldest city. Well, take care. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for for coming on. It was a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And have a fun time with kids and family. Will do. I'm about to go check on her. She's been so good this whole time. I'm amazed. So. Oh, good dog. All right. Okay. All right. Take well, care. Have fun. Thank you so right. much. All right. Bye. Thank you. Huh. Because I'm happy. Come along.